0: Welcome back to another episode of The Garbage Shoot over here on the Good Trash uh, Media uh, Network, uh, Good Trash Genrecast uh, affiliate. Um, I am Arthur Gordon, and uh, today we're going to be taking a look at Thor Love and Thunder, the newest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder, uh, again directed by Taiki Waititi, returning from Thor Ragnarok, Um is the follow-up of the events of really that arc from Ragnarok through Endgame. Uh, Taika Waititi came in and kind of really redeveloped, redesigned and restructured the Thor character and his place in the MCU. Uh, That arc really began uh, in, in earnest in Ragnarok and then, uh, we see that carried through uh Infinity War and Endgame um and so here we are now uh in Thor's kind of epilogue to Endgame where what, what is next for the God of Thunder Thor Love and Thunder is the 29th film in the MCU uh, it is the second one here in 2022, following closely after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which just opened in May. Uh, here we are two months later, almost to the date, uh, with Thor Love and Thunder, uh, which is right around 2, 2.10, I believe, runtime, uh, again, PG-13, and is... Uh, Again, just that follow-up to where Thor is now. Um, Here's a quick synopsis from over on, uh, I'm pulling this from Letterboxd, uh, but it gives a good rundown. Uh, It says, after his retirement is interrupted by Gore, the God Butcher, a galactic killer who seeks the extinction of the gods, Thor enlists the help of King Valkyrie, Korg, and Jane Foster, who now inexplicably wields Mjolnir as the mighty Thor. Together they embark upon a harrowing cosmic adventure to uncover the mystery of the God Butcher's vengeance and stop him before it's too late. Now, uh, for this episode, I'm going to give you some just general uh, goods, bads, pros, cons uh, to this. Uh, and then from there we may get into some spoiler stuff, but I'll give you a a big spoiler warning uh, before we get into that. Um, to really kind of delve into some plot points in detail. But just if you're looking for brief thoughts up top, uh, that's what I'm going to give you, and then you can jettison this uh, before I get into spoilers. Uh, but if you've already seen the movie, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth uh, a little later uh, in this little episode. So, again, uh, these garbage shoots, just a quick review of these new releases uh, that we're seeing um, by any of us here at the Genre Cast, Good Trash Media, who can... Uh, re- Review them So uh, here we go I, I want to start I think with um, Probably the big E on the eye chart here And that is uh, Waititi's humor, Taika Waititi uh, From New Zealand has a very specific brand of humor um, If you've seen Ragnarok then you're very familiar If not, uh, if you're familiar at all With Flight of the Concords, uh, or What we do in the shadows you've-, you've got a kind of idea of his comedic sensibilities They're a comedic sensibility that I really enjoy Um he worked very closely with uh, Jemaine Clement, and he's got that background there with The Flight of the Concords as well as uh, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, Shark versus Eagle, and other stories uh, that are very comedic in nature. And I, I think his sense of humor is very fun. I, I enjoy that about him. I think he has a very fun energy as well when he's on screen. And so I do appreciate that about him. So I I will say up top, probably the big, and it could be a pro or a con depending on your mileage is going to vary because this, again, really doubles down on the comedy elements that are very prevalent in Thor Ragnarok. So if you are into that, and that style of kind of irreverent, comedy that's kind of taking the wind out of the sail of Thor's as big, mythic, egotistical hero, uh, then then you're going to get much more of that here. Uh, it, it is much more of uh, Tai Koatiti, essentially, uh, for lack of a better term, taking the piss on this character uh, and, and these stories. And so it's a lot more of that humor. I know that can Really range for people Some people aren't as into that Or as amused by that I know there are a lot of people Who didn't like Thor Ragnarok Because it did drastically shape uh, Reshape the Thor character uh, In comparison to what had been presented already In uh, the early part of the MCU And so there's that kind of forewarning there Uh, If you like the comedy of Ragnarok You're probably going to really get into this um, if you don't like that, then I would say go ahead and skip this one because you're probably not going to enjoy it at all unless you just need to see where the Thor mythos goes. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, visually, I, I, I man, uh, if, if you've ever listened to the genre cast, uh, you've heard me talk in the past uh, about... The modern visual effects of, especially, it feels like Disney movies. These big blockbusters that they're doing, uh, Jungle Cruise, was kind of a big offender for me, uh, where everything just looks so fake that it just did not. It lost the immersion experience for me. Uh, Death of the Nile, Death on the Nile, is another example of this. That's not from Disney, uh, but has a very similar look and feel, and it feels that artifice just doesn't, just doesn't connect. Um, it's. It feels like watching in uh, 50s or 60s movies That's got that heavy rear projection uh, And you can tell And it doesn't work for me um, And so This has moments of that uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't wildly uh, Mad at how bad it looks There are a few moments There's a, a particular shot uh when um the the, the gang uh th- arrive in this tribunal palace court uh as they are seeking help to face gore and there's like a a, a panning shot and it's so blurry and distorted uh because i i, I make sure i think of shooting uh how they do uh, and it just looked terrible. And so, you know, there there are moments like that, but there are things about ideal. I, I think that the shadow realm that they go to where everything goes black and white is really cool. We see some of that in the trailer. And there are moments of, of these kind of set pieces that look really pretty. And there are moments that just don't look as great. And we're kind of in a moment, I think, uh, especially for Disney, where they don't feel the need to have to try anymore. And that's frustrating and annoying, and I, I know it's probably more cost-effective for them, uh, but it, it really does start to look bad, especially when you can tell that costumes are CGI and, uh, you know, backgrounds, people are CGI. It, it really does lose the immersion, and so that that's something I've lamented uh, quite a bit, and that doesn't really get, you know, any better here. And so that's another thing to keep in mind. Visually, not always the cleanest, but I don't think it's... Maybe visually the worst thing as well So I'd say middle of the ground there Uh, Everybody's fun here Hemsworth is great Uh, Natalie Portman's great Uh, Tessa Thompson's uh, great Uh, YTT is Korg, I love Korg I think he's a great sidekick character With some fun quips And I I really enjoyed him in the first one I think he's a good time here Kind of fills a a very similar role as uh, Drax In Guardians of the Galaxy uh, But less fierce uh, but he's still a, a, a valiant foe, and so I think that's a fun character. Ytd does a great job with him, um, and then Christian Bale's Gore, Gore the God Butcher, is is our antagonist here, and uh, he's such a cool character. Um, this idea of a, a a man so filled with faith that in his dying moments he's still calling out to his God to save him and save his child as they're dying. And then the unthinkable happens and he confronts that God. He gets that opportunity and it doesn't pan out the way he's thinking it's going to. And so he takes up this sword uh, to uh, become the God Butcher. And I think that's such a cool character. And Christian Bale does a great job with it. He's not under a lot of Processes or a lot of CGI. um He's, he's Christian Bale, uh, just getting to kind of do a fun voice and be a bit. There's a bit of Voldemort, I think, in his performance, and that's kind of an obvious, I think, joke there. Uh, but he gets to do some some cool stuff, and I really dig that performance. I really dig the character. That's a character I would watch an entire series of as he just goes through the galaxy slaughtering gods. I think that's a fun story. And, uh, you know, it's a good character. It's a tragic character. I like that. Um, I'm a big fan of the Batman, the animated series, uh, Victor Freeze, and the way they kind of restructured that character to make him more tragic. And I, You know, you don't want every villain to be that. Sometimes you just need evil. Uh, but I, I think a good sympathetic villain works every now and then, and I think that's what we get here. And uh, I, I think Christian Bale does a great job with it. Um I don't know that the movie ever overstays its welcome. I think big negatives here are some forced emotional uh, attempts to uh, kind of force an emotional response. And I don't want to get too much into that because it will get into spoilers. But um, I I think that's a big hindrance. Everything feels a bit too manufactured in that regard. And so I, I think that's probably one of the big drawbacks is that those emotional stakes just don't really connect I think, like they would like. Um, and so by and large, I feel like this is a very middle-of-the-road uh, Marvel film, or movie in general. It's a fun movie. I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. Uh, I had a great time. I'd would, I would go watch it again. Um, I think that, you know, if, if you really do like Thor Ragnarok and that kind of humor, uh, you'll really be into this. I, I, I do think that. If you didn't like that, though, this is more of the same, and you're not going to like that. Uh, I think for me, uh, the biggest complaint I had about Thor Ragnarok was that it was really a movie uh, that seemed to care more about the hangout film buddy comedy between Hulk and Thor rather than really dealing with the themes it introduces or the villain that it set up. Uh, And all of that kind of felt like an afterthought to this buddy comedy that was taking place and the kind of weird, wild... Uh, Comedy at the center of that film And I don't think that Thor Love and Thunder really overcomes that It feels much more of the same Um, And so Very similar structure We get some really interesting ideas That are introduced, we have a really cool Villain, uh, and then it becomes a hangout Movie uh, for the bulk And so everything with Gore um, And with those themes really Becomes an afterthought and so, I, I again, that really hinders me from liking this more. Right now, I could see a rewatch going really either way. I could go up or I'd go down on it. Um, but for now, um, it, it, it really does feel like a just fun time. Um, not a lot of stakes. And that's okay sometimes. Not every movie has to move the, the needle forward. And I... I think people get frustrated, you know, not every film has to. Uh, Can every film? Yeah, sure. Uh, But, you know, to lament that every film isn't doing something new or groundbreaking I think is a bit problematic um, and unfair and unreasonable uh, expectation. Um, Now, within the same cycle of films, that kind of repetitive nature can become problematic, and I think that might be something worth investigating within the MCU. Um, But we've really entered a a new territory in Phase 4 wherein not every movie is building to a climactic battle, at least not in the way that we've experienced with the first three phases of this franchise. Um, It's really grown into something else because most of the entries in Phase 4 have really served uh, to widen the mythos of the MCU, whether that's on uh, the Disney plus TV shows or in the films themselves. It really has served to introduce a broader array of characters to really introduce uh, the true depth and breadth of what this thing is, that it is multiple universes, multiple timelines, variants um you know all of these different components all of these new characters each of these shows introducing multiple new characters heroes villains uh sidekicks um ideas mythologies you know uh the extent to which characters can use their powers uh with WandaVision the the true force of the scarlet witch uh to put the new mantle on the new Captain America and Falcon and Winter Soldier um the idea that uh, New Jersey, uh, Jersey city has a protector in Kamala Khan, Kamala Khan. And so, you know, phase four, so much of it has been laying the groundwork. And I think people are seeing frustrated that it's not clearly leading to something, even though those in the know kind of know that it is right. That, that Kang is a force to be reckoned with, and that there seems to be some multiversal secret war storylines taking place, but not everything's pointing that direction yet. And so we've been left with this mass uh, plethora of content, uh, but there doesn't seem to be a uniting factor yet, and I think for some people that's frustrating. And I think Thor Love and Thunder really operates as a standalone movie it never feels like it's focused on building out the greater world and mythos in the way that the first or really phases two and three did um it really kind of feels like a thor movie that has a beginning and an end point it it carries up after end game because that's where thor is but it, it really does feel like another character off on their own world and their own adventures. And I mentioned this in a letterbox review, but not every comic title was part of a tie-in or crossover event, right? Sometimes a comic book was just a comic book. And if every comic book is part of a crossover tie-in, then no individual title feels special. And I think that's an idea and a philosophy that kind of hurts us in hindsight with the MCU because especially in phases two and three, everything was part of a crossover event that was building to. And now we're in a place where that doesn't necessarily feel like it's the case. I think eventually it's going to get to that, but right now it doesn't feel like that. And so, you know, people have seen criticizing Faggy for being directionless or, you know, what have you, but uh, I think we've become so conditioned to expect that these things are leading to something that to just get a story on its own is frustrating for people. But that's also something that we derided the first three phases for was that every movie served the purpose. And now that not everything is serving the purpose, we're detracting for it from that, from that, for that. And so I think that's just a really interesting place to leave, uh, right now. Uh Thor Ragnarok in many ways feels like a singular vision from Taika Waititi without ...much studio mandate or restriction in ways that uh, Doctor Strange, then the Multiverse of Madness, and uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is obviously a Sony co-production, not a true quote-unquote MCU film, but also did feel very much like it had these studio mandates uh, to get us to a certain point, right, with Doctor Strange. Um, So... With that in mind, this doesn't feel like a tug of war between multiple creatives, which has been a big part of Phase 4. It feels like it is a singular film with a singular goal in mind. And by and large, I think it accomplishes that goal. I I do think um, the most interesting parts are the weakest parts of it, though. I think it, it really does seem like just more of a comedy hangout film. Uh, with some rom-com elements I've seen people saying it's a rom-com film Disguised as a Marvel movie And I, I, I guess But just because it has a romantic through line I wouldn't call it a rom-com um, In that way it, it does still feel more like a hangout film I think than, than anything else And so um, At the end of the day uh, If you are a diehard Marvel fan You're going to see this movie uh, If you're a Taiko Waititi fan I think you're going to see this movie um, If you're kind of Up and down on the MCU You drop in, you drop out I think this is one you can go to and see Without really feeling like You have to know everything about the MCU To get it I think if you've seen uh, Infinity War Endgame and Ragnarok You can walk into this just fine And you're not going to be like Wait, what is this? Why is it doing this? Um, You've kind of got all the information And I think that's a nice place to put this It's the first time um, one of the kind of legacy characters um, has felt that way It felt like previously you had to see all the things to see the thing uh, You know, Doctor Strange feels that way um, But I do th- appreciate that about this And so, you know, at the end of the day, I I, I enjoyed it I had a lot of fun, I would watch it again I, I laughed a lot, I think it's a crowd pleaser And so it's, it's making all kinds of money um, and, and I think you're going to know if this is for you or not. And the Really, the litmus test is if you like Ragnarok. Now, we'll briefly uh, move into spoiler, spoiler, spoiler territory, um, and there's not really too much here I would talk about. Uh, I kind of was able to get into some of the... The big thing here is probably the emotional stakes. Um, obviously, Jane Foster takes up the mantle as the Mighty Thor. If you're familiar with the comics, you know that uh, it is partially because... Uh, In the comics, she has cancer, and that is revisited here. Uh, She has stage four cancer, and that's very uh, thinly drawn here. Uh, We don't know what type of cancer. It's just she has cancer stage four. Um, She's doing chemo when we meet her, and that is the the impetus for her to seek out Mjolnir, and uh, she retrieves Mjolnir and becomes the mighty Thor. Um, And that's cool. I, I think that's fun. Uh, But it does lead to some manufactured emotional moments. Uh, I think it's hard to reconnect with this character after so long as an audience. Uh, Portman's great. But we really haven't had time with that. And again, we've been conditioned to feel like death doesn't mean anything in these movies. And so those emotional beats are just really hard to buy into when they haven't meant anything in the past. And we get a couple more of those as well. Uh, With both Korg and Valkyrie where we get some kind of red herring death moments. Um, But neither of them really land because, again, they feel very emotionally manufactured. And so uh, that's one of the big things that detracts from this for me is that it does feel like those emotional stakes are just never present. And they feel forced and tacked on. And they don't work. And that's really kind of where it lands. Uh, I I think Christian Bale, as Gore does more in his final moments on screen, for the emotional resonance of this film than anything that happens in the kind of two hours previous to that. Um, The other big thing here are the two post-credit stingers. Uh, At the very end of the credits, there are two scenes. There's one in the mid, one at the end. At the end credit scene, we, surprise, surprise, see Jane Foster arriving at Valhalla. Um... To let us know that she's not truly dead, dead, uh, and that she will probably be back. Uh, we also get to see Heimdall, which again confirms that he is not dead, dead. Um, he is quote-unquote dead and in Valhalla, so he's in some sort of afterlife dimension, but you can easily get him out of there, is kind of the idea. Uh, and so we do get those two characters and uh the other one though is the mid-credit sequence so i alluded to them arriving at some sort of tribunal to seek help and they're going to seek help from zeus and we kind of see this in the trailers but if you've ignored that uh they do get to see zeus uh and thor attacks zeus and seemingly thinks to have killed him uh but in the end obviously uh zeus is still alive uh and he vows revenge on Thor and on humanity for making the gods a laughingstock. Again, a cool idea um, that the gods want to be taken seriously again. Uh, because the kind of theme there is that with superheroes, gods are no longer needed. Uh, and there's some fun stuff to play with there. Uh, I, I, I get concerned that it's just going to get dropped, though. But with Zeus, we get the introduction of Hercules uh which is cool in itself and kind of he got name dropped in the movie so it's kind of wondering does he show up when he shows up uh but he does show up in the post credit sequence and takes on the charge to get revenge on Thor and Hercules looks great and he is played by none other than Brett Goldstein of Ted Lasso fame who plays Roy Kent uh if you have not seen Ted Lasso Uh, That is a great show, and Brett Goldstein is just a a genuine, uh, incredible performer on there. Uh, Roy Kent is probably top three characters for me on that show, uh, if not the best character on that show. I think Roy Kent is incredible. Brett Goldstein, I think, will be incredible as Hercules. Hercules. And I think comedically he can fit into this world because he has that background, both as a comedian and a comedy writer, but as a performer in a comedy. And so I'm very excited about that. I shrieked when I saw him appear on screen. Uh, I wanted to get a he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Roy Kent chant going in into theater, but it didn't happen. I, I didn't really try, but I wanted to. Um, but, yeah, I was super stoked for that. So. I almost went all out five stars just because of that sequence, Um, but that's kind of a separate thing. So, yeah, I'm very excited about the the next entry in this franchise, and that's the thing about these movies. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Anyway, uh, here we are. That's really about all I wanted to wrap up in spoilers. Not a lot to spoil in this one. A lot's in the trailers. Uh, Again, I think that's due to the kind of simplistic standalone nature of this movie. Um, It it really is that big idea of of Jane Foster and her death uh, in in the post-credit or in the finale of this movie. Um, I do love that there's an intimate third act. I'm so tired of the big, gratuitous third act battle sequence. And so to get kind of a one-on-one, two-on-one fight here, uh, which we see kind of uh, paralleling from Multiverse of Madness, which also ended in a very... Intimate way. I really appreciate that. I, I still think it's too much CGI, uh, but I, I like the idea that it's not this city destroying, world collapsing battle. It, it is a one location fight to the death, and I think uh, that's neat. Um, and I've really appreciated that about the last couple of Marvel films. So there you have it. Uh, those are my thoughts on Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, There is one other thing, uh, I guess, that kind of ends this, where the title itself, Love and Thunder, uh, is reflective of a new character who shows up at the end of this. Uh, But I'll let you figure that one out on your own. Uh, If you go see this one, if not, I'm sure multiple videos on YouTube or podcasts uh, can also help answer that for you as well. Anyway, I've been Arthur Gordon. This is The Garbage Shoot on Good Trash Media. And I'll catch you next time.